Welcome to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill, and I'll be leading you on this adventure. We'll be getting into deep discussions about classic records, profiles on up-and-coming bands, and interviews with your favorite artists. You can check out new episodes every week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Thanks for listening, and if you're brand new to this, welcome aboard. We've got a bunch of really cool stuff coming down the line. We've got interviews with uh, Steve Brodsky of Cave-In. Uh, we got a Pig Destroyer interview coming up, as well as classic record episodes on Neurosis, Through Silver and Blood, and Godflesh Street Cleaner. This week, Randy and I are going to be talking about crossover thrash. Talking about a bunch of bands from the 80s and how they melded hardcore punk and thrash metal into something brand new. We'll be debating who was actually the first crossover band and running down some of our favorite tracks by some of our favorite bands. If we left off your favorite band, hey, please accept my apologies. You know, these days I feel like people take for granted the fact that metal and hardcore punk are close. Unlike the way they were back in the 80s, where they were two very, very different scenes that had very different types of people involved in both scenes. And they're almost like diametrically opposed to each other. Definitely. You know, uh, you know, punk started out, it was like on a completely different page than metal. You know, metal was like kind of in this like fantasy world, you know, and punk had the um, sort of ideology on its side, I guess. You know? Right. And then... This phenomenon called crossover, or more technically called crossover thrash, happened in the mid-80s. But, uh, you know, there was kind of a, a lead-up, though. Um, I don't think it just came out of nowhere. Um, one, of the, one of the earliest bands, I think, though I don't consider them to be a crossover band, but uh, the, the Void side of the Faith-Void split might be like one of the earlier uh, inclusions of heavy metal into the punk world. You know, are you familiar with that record? Very familiar with that record, yeah. And uh, I never really even thought of it that way until today. But uh, that's, that's a great point. Um, you know, even the, even the artwork on their side, and, and obviously musically, but even the artwork on that side is very different from any, anything Discord has really did back then or until now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think you said when we were talking off uh, mic earlier that... Uh, you don't really think of it as being like metal, but when you will go back to it, you can kind of see that now. You yeah. Know, like if you listen to the void side of the faith void split in 2018, it doesn't sound like metal per se. You know what I mean? It's definitely no. a punk record, but you know, some of the guitar work on there, it's like these like weird solos and stuff. And you can kind of see there's like a, a very, very faint influence, you know? And yeah. that's what I consider to be the beginning of like, metal trying to like drift into the hardcore punk like consciousness you know and then coming from the other end of the spectrum we have motorhead absolutely know, which hard rocking bands like motorhead and let me always consider motorhead just a rock and roll band you know right. what i mean and but they were like a very very extreme rock and roll band and um how many punks did you ever did you see in your lifetime that were wearing motorhead shirts or motorhead patches yeah, tons. Still see them to this day. And like, and like that is uh, a very uh, unifying. I don't know if unifying is the right word, but that band brought a lot of metalhead 
together with punks, with rock dudes. That was like the one band that was okay for everyone to like. I agree with that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll touch on this later, but one of the early uh, sort of meetings of those two worlds I saw was the Cro-Mags opening for Motorhead back in like 1986, which prior to that, I don't think I've ever really seen a me- like a metal or hard rock band and a, and a hardcore punk band like sharing the stage that way. No, and just, no, you're probably right. Only a few years later, it would change big time. Yes. Yeah. I remember going to many shows where those bands shared the stage. Yeah, you know, and, and like the years I spent in Boston, you know, Wrecking Crew, and there's there's a lot of bands like, you know, Wrecking Crew was like a, a metal influence, hardcore band. Um, there was a thrash band called Seika yep. that was also on Tang Records that they would play hardcore matinees. Yeah. Um, also, Wargasm, which is like another band yeah. that's, you know, like they would routinely play with like the more thrashier, like hardcore crossover bands. But these right. bands are later. Yes. You know, they're after the crossover of metal and right. you know, thrash yeah. metal and punk and the all The original that. melding was earlier than that. Yeah, they're like maybe like the first wave after that of bands that were like crossing over into both, both uh, territories. Um, so yeah, Motorhead definitely like coming from the other the other end of the spectrum with like hard rock metal guys, like checking that band out for the first time and be like, man, this is like got a different thing going on, you know. And especially the first couple, first three Motorhead records are like, right? They could easily be punk records, easily, sure, you know. And uh, just the fast tempos, the over the top like vibe of the songs, just you know the speed, the short songs, like it had everything about it screamed punk. Ironically, they always get lumped in with a new wave of British heavy metal. They do, you know. Yeah, they're yeah. They don't really sound like any of those bands. Though. No, not at all. A few years later, I'm going to say Black, the American band Black Flag, with My War, and the record in my head, which actually came a little bit later than the crossover era. But those records, especially Side Two of My War, brought in this whole other world, which alienated a lot of the punks. You know, this like long, drawn out, slow, Sabbathy kind of thing, which I think another another germ had been planted, another seed had been planted to introduce different ideas that were more suited to the metal world, were now being introduced into the punk world through the My War record by Black Flag. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, an interesting thing with that too, with the My War record, it was such a departure from uh, Damaged. But, and this is uh, this band's not a crossover band, but I do think it's important to mention that St. Vitus was on SST Records, the same label as Black Flag. They toured together, and I think there was a heavy influence going on there. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think Black Flag was, you know, really into that doomy, Sabbath-y. Because, you know, St. Vitus used to play with, with hardcore punk bands all the time. That's right. You know, I, I think they played with more hardcore on punk bands than metal bands because they were on SST. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not a crossover band per se, but they definitely brought that metal influence into the into the scene, into the hardcore yeah. punk scene. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like to think also that like there might be some burgeoning, you know, guys getting ready to start bands that might have been checking out some of the shows on that tour. Sure. That checked out St. Vitus and they're like, okay, this is a band that's like operating within our domain that's bringing this new ideas to the table and though i'm not exactly sure if i like it you know i can kind of relate to what they're doing and maybe this is something i should explore and that's how i think a lot of the 
crossover bands might have gotten involved in that sort of ideology, I think, as a result of seeing stuff like that. Sure. You know, some British bands, you know, once again, discharge for the extremity of their music, I think have to be mentioned as an influence on the crossover scene. You know what I mean? Because they were just like, you know, one of the more brutal like punk bands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely like a pro- prototype for that sort of format. And um, the English Dogs, another yeah. band that comes to mind, who, um, especially their record To the Ends of the Earth, which is like, you know, they have, they have a new singer, Aid Bailey, and uh, added a second guitar player, Graham Giz Butt. <laughs> That's the guy's name. All right. Um, you know, and he had, he had like, he threw in these like sick like metal solos. And, you know, there was a lot of that kind of bump and grind, like, metal riffing yeah. on that record particularly and um you know so those those bands from england i think were kind of playing with the ideas that you know more extreme bands like get being playing with extremity i guess and then another band that figures into this is the italian band raw power and i they get a nod as being one of the more extreme punk bands, one of the more over-the-top, fully-charged bands, I think, that um, maybe laid some groundwork for the metal crossover world, particularly uh, Screams from the uh, Gutter. You know, one of the most intense, like, punk records that I've ever heard. I remember, I remember hearing that when I was in high school and being like, Jesus Christ, man, this is like... I need to revisit Raw Power. It's been a while since yeah. I checked out Raw Power. They still play occasionally. Uh, original... Guys. I mean, I don't know how many original members are in it, but they played. They've not you know, in the last like ten years. They've played in the states at some point. Yeah, I got. I haven't checked them out in a long, long time. I'll have to revisit them. I might be making this up, but um, I believe this to be true: is that Raw Power and I Hate God actually play together. I think that's true. Yeah. So any, anyone want to correct me out there? Please uh, feel free, or if you want to confirm that it actually happened. Also feel free. I know I had got toured with Discharge last year. We're now in the mid-80s, 1984, circa. Um, and we're, we're ready for something new, a new flavor into the hardcore punk scene. And, um, you know, so now this is when the crossover sort of movement happens. And now this is a debatable topic as to what the first crossover record actually was. So... Um, you want, you want to take a stab at what the first crossover record is? In, in my opinion, what I consider the first crossover record is Courage to Conformity's Animosity. That's just my opinion. This is a highly debated topic over yeah. time. Because Animosity, um, that came out in 85. Right. And uh, the record before that, Eye for an Eye, which came out in 84, that's straight up like hardcore punk. Straight up, yeah. Vastly, they're vastly different records. Yeah. They have different singer. You know, different singer. Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, I, in my opinion. But there's other records that, you know, I, I wouldn't debate too much. So that the animosity lineup with COC is uh, Mike Dean, vocals and bass, yes. Woody Weatherman on guitars, and Reed Mullen, drums and vocals. Who are all still in Corrosion Conformity. Yeah. That band has gone through many, many different, different incarnations. Yes. And, you know, so I mean, it's like, yeah, they're, they've kind of gone, gone full circle, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of like what they're presenting it now as like the classic lineup, right? Well, they were. They did two records at, with that three-piece with that lineup. And then now Pepper Keenan is back in the band, and they just released a new record that's more 
But the two records they released as with the classic lineup, with the three-piece lineup, were not like trying to sound like animosity. They had a little bit of everything throughout their career. They, they did a self-titled record. The first record with the revamped three-piece lineup was a self-titled record that came out, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. I thought it was awesome. I had a little bit of everything I loved about COC. The follow-up to that, not as good. Um, but yeah, so they weren't trying to like... I seen them with that lineup, and they they, they didn't play too many of those old songs. Either, yeah. You know, it was... Um, I saw them. They played with uh, with Danzig. Like, um, that was one of the shows I saw them. Yeah, I missed that because of the snowstorm. Yeah, it was like was the, the Danzig Legacy tour. Yeah, they were on that. And then I saw them play, like, on their own in New York City with uh, Today is the Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Keel Hall was on that that bill as well. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, was, they, they were doing some of the old material. Yeah, they did some show. of it, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, you know, they had new material and stuff, too, to kind of validate it. They weren't just going, going out there trying to play all these songs that are 30 years old. Sweating with the oldies. Right. <laughs> right. I shot Now, I know this is a debated topic, you know, so I'm going to weigh in with my opinion is I'm going to say that the very first Suicidal Tendencies record is uh, the first crossover record. And there are, there are people out there that say that's straight up punk rock, you know. But I just think that the whole production, the guitar solos, uh, some of the vocals, to me, have... Uh, I think that record is metal as fuck, man, in my opinion, while at the same time being punk as fuck. Yeah. Well, you've sort of convinced me a little bit when we were talking earlier. I you kind of, I, I mean, I've listened to that record since I was a kid. I, I still listen to that record. It's great. But uh, you pointed out some things that I just I kind of overlooked, I guess. I'm still sticking to my guns. I, yeah. I, I still no, think Animosity is the first true crossover record. But I definitely, you know, I, that's a good good choice. You point out a lot of things on that record that I kind of overlooked. Yeah, and, that, and that's 1983. And, you know, that was like chronologically, you know, the first, I guess. Right. Um, but, I mean, I, I can understand when people would come at, at that record and say, well, you know, it's more punk. But it's like, you know, I, when I was a kid, I remember somebody made me a cassette that had um, Circle Jerks on one side and they had this record on the other. And when I listened to Suicidal next to Circle Jerks, I'm like, wow, it's like a heavy metal record. You know what I mean? And I think that's why, in my mind, it has more of a metal feel to it. Because there's like, the playing is like tighter. And there's like solos, like, like straight up, like shred right. guitar, like solos going on on that record. And it just felt more, more in this like, you know, 
like vibe of like metal as opposed to like punk, which, you know, punk and hard, hardcore punk, which Circle Jerks clearly are. Right. So I think the juxtaposition of those two records, physical juxtaposition of those two records made me think that suicidal, man, they're, they're into like, you know, listening to like, you know, like, like, you know, Dio and like, right, right. You know, like the Dio era of Sabbath or something like that. You know, I don't know, even though the, just the, the vibe of the record, there's like chorus on the guitars and everything. You know, though I do know that Dag Nasty is very fond of, you know, Brian, you know, using chorus on their guitars, but just the whole different type of riffing on that yeah, record yeah, felt yeah. very metal to me. You know, and that, that lineup featured, uh, you know, Mike Muir, who's like the only original member because Suicidal is still active to this day. Right. Uh, Grant Estes on guitar, uh, Luis Mayorga on bass, and Emery Smith on drums. And I believe that is the, um, that's the only, that lineup only lasted for that one record. And some of the members crossed, carried over into their follow-up album. And that's the record that most people consider to be their crossover album. That, I would agree with that. Yeah, 87's uh, Join the Army. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really debate that that's... No. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just got more and more metal as time went on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that, and that uh, Join the Army is uh, the first record featuring uh, Rocky George. I've seen them on the Join the Army tour. Really? You know, I've never seen Suicidal. Never. No, I never saw him. I've seen him a few times. Uh, three or four times. But uh, that was the earliest I'd seen them. That was one of the f- first, like, ten shows I ever went to. That's great. It's, uh, Jerry's Kids and Suicidal at the Old Living Room in Providence. And Jerry's Kids, who I think their first album, uh, Is This My World, is one of the best hardcore punk records ever made. Yeah, that's a great But they band. also became a little more metal. That was the trend, though. In, yeah, yeah, SSD Control, DYS, all those bands kind of took that route. Not very well. It seems like that's, it almost is like an East Coast thing in some ways to go more metal. It certainly seems that way. The numbers point that way, for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, even, even uh, SSD Control, yeah, their final album was like a metal record, you know? Yeah, it was more I like, think that was their last album, right? They did, well, they did, uh, it was two. There was How We Rock, and there was another one that was like a metal, yeah. or like cock rock kind of. It was like, yeah, it was like it wasn't like a cool like metal thing, like a thrash metal thing. It was like this kind of like yeah, like like hair metal, like from yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but yeah, that seems to be this almost like East Coast trend is for hardcore bands to to get more metal influences. Absolutely. <clears throat> so now the triumvirate of these crossover bands. We have to mention DRI from Houston, Texas. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they have an album called The Crossover Record. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, so, right. So that's, that shows you where those guys are at. But, you know, they started off, like, very much as, like, a, you know, punk band, like a thrashy, oh, yeah. like, punk, you know, fast punk band. Yeah. And, um, you know, they formed in 82. And, uh, you know, the original lineup was Spike Cassidy on guitar, Kurt Brecht on vocals, Eric Brecht on drums and Dennis Johnson on bass. Uh, but the 85 record dealing with it, which uh, coincidentally is on Metal Blade, uh, saw the, the metal side of them being expressed more prevalently. Um, you know, then in 87, the aptly titled Crossover <laughs> album came out. Right. And at this point, they were full on like metal crossover, thrash crossover, whatever you want to call it. I've I seen them on the crossover tour too. At the- same venue. Probably 
within a few months after I seen the suicidal and joined the army tour. So I was diving in to the crossover world. So yeah, by the time crossover, that record came out, that was like straight up embracing this crossover genre. And, um, I'm also quite fond of uh, Four of a Kind, too. Me, too. I, I, I like uh, Dealing With It is my favorite DRI record. I love that record so much. But uh, me, too. I like uh, Thrash. I don't even like Thrash. I mean, yeah. some of the... There's goofy elements to some of the later DRI, thra more thrashy kind of stuff that normally I don't like in music, but I give them a pass for some reason, I, and I enjoy it. Yeah, there's... I, I kind of feel like Crossover... Uh, brought the ironic, like, flavor to metal, which I, I, I mean, a lot of these bands I really dig, but the irony and sense of humor, and I know this might sound like a little stuffy, but that was never something I appreciated about the crossover genre. Another band I think we should jump to the head of the line is uh, The Accused out of Seattle. Yes. And a band that's oftentimes, I feel, kind of, like, overlooked in some ways, right? I mean... They're not a band I think that a lot of people talk about anymore. Though they released a record not too long ago on Southern yeah, Lord. They did. Yeah. Which it was actually pretty good, too. Yeah. I checked it out. Um, I, did you ever get to see The Accused? No, man. That's, I don't know how much they toured out this yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, back, especially back then. I mean, you know, like I said, in the 80s, I was a kid. So I, I missed out on a lot of shows because I was just too young to get, get out there. Especially like... 85 that's when martha splatterhead came out that ep right um that's actually their own label condor records came out 85 i was still unless it was like an all-ages show i probably wasn't going to be going you right. know what i mean like i didn't have a fake id or anything like that you know or you know these bands weren't playing like obviously they weren't playing at like you know legitimate uh you know venues per no, se no. at that point um and i, I don't recall them really in my awareness, playing in the East Coast at the times that I could have been able to see them until right. maybe much later. Right. I remember they did play at the Anthrax at some point, but I didn't. I didn't go. Yeah. Um, so like that classic lineups: uh, Tommy Niemeyer on guitar, and he also created the Martha Splatterhead imagery. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, no. he's the guy behind all that. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's classic. Uh, yeah. I don't really like it. No? No, nah, man. I, I know. I know, right? It's something I, you think I would like. Yeah. I, I, I'm not so sure that, you know, how much I like it, but I, I mean, I, I recognize it as being classic. It's recognizable, yeah. Yeah. Blaine Cook on vocals, Chewy Baderman on bass, and Dana Accused on drums. Huh. That's a classic lineup from uh, Martha Splatterhead EP. And they're still active. Yeah. They call, I think they call it something different. It's like accused AD or something. I don't know, man. Something like that, I think. I, I uh, did not really um, pay attention to their later material. 2009, they had a record on Southern Lord. That's the last thing called I, I checked out. The Curse yes. of Martha Splatterhead. Which is like, that's... <laughs> that's their theme. That's their theme. And like I guess like um, that, I think, is like a little weird to me. I don't know. It's like, I get it, you know, but I also, you know, it's like... Maybe give it a rest, you know. What I mean? <laughs> but um, <laughs> most of their lyrical content, though, it sort of dealt with like you know, uh, socio-political um, sort of subjects. 
it approached it from like a horror sort of splatter gore like zombie like sort of approach which i did like <laughs> well yeah some of their some of that early material they did kind of influenced some of the direction i took in a band i did was trying to do something similar really? lyrically yeah okay yeah what band was that uh slow death yeah which okay. i which i still do yeah on the side uh yeah, kind of going for that same kind of lyrical approach without the, the theme necessarily of the, the Martha Splatterhead. But yeah, um, so they were like one of the influences when we started that band, like lyrical approach for sure. Yeah, their riffs. Like the, the, the thing that always got me about um, The Accused, you know, was the riffs, man. Like how like over the top and dark and chaotic their their guitar playing stuff sounded chaotic that's the word and i think that might have been like the real one of the early you know bands to embrace this like chaos you know what i mean yeah i, I actually someone did a reissue or something of that first record and I, I picked it up recently and i hadn't listened to it in a long time i put it on and i was like this, this is just fucking chaos man <laughs> and you know what's interesting too is like i and i don't even I mean, it's it's like I don't know if it's even a direct influence, and you might we might want to talk to Keith Hawkins about this, but I feel like Rorschach might have been influenced by the Accused a little bit, as well as Voivod and Black Flag and all these other bands. I could hear that. Yeah, because there's sure, like man. this very over the top craziness to their music. Yeah, I could hear that for sure. Keith might be a good guy to get on this. He would be. I, I guarantee you, he was uh, at least well aware of the Accused, if not influenced by. To go into New York City, okay, and um, I'd like to start with Carnivore from Brooklyn, New York, uh, founded by Pete Steele, the late great Pete Steele. Um, and this band started out straight up as a metal band, right? I was gonna say, I think they more than being a cross, they were never a crossover band, they were a straight up metal band that influenced all these other bands that we're about to talk about. I think that's a good way to put it, right. Yeah, I mean, if if you listen, you know, listening to, um, well, prior prior to uh, Carnivore, Pete Steele had a band called Fallout, 
which uh, I don't know if you ever heard that. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, it has like a, there's like keyboards and stuff in it, and it's um, really, yeah, it's like, you know, it, it almost has like um, like a dark wave like vibe to it. It's really? Cool. No, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, Fallout. It Did was they have a record. I have some recordings of theirs. I don't know if it's ever. It's a demo, maybe. Okay. It's like I don't know if it's ever officially released. Our old uh, roadie Thorns had recordings of it. Oh, cool. And he uh, he he gave me the MP3s of it. So I don't know if it's been officially released or not. I'll do the YouTube search tonight. It's probably on YouTube for sure. But uh, you know, I would say Carnivore is like you listen to that music and you hear. I hear Celtic Frost. You know, I hear Judas Priest. I hear some Sabbath in there. So these guys are coming from like a, a heavy rock right. sort of vibe, you right. know, like a, you know early early, well whatever you would call Celtic Frost is like an early thrash black metal almost. Kind yeah, of they vibe. they predate genres. Yeah, they predate genres <laughs> definitely, you know, but you know with like a raw a rawness to it that um, it's maybe endeared themselves to like the punk crowd more, you know. But then again, like in those days, I don't think any punks listened to the Carnivore. You know, they no. were they were like a Lamore's. You know, they were like a Brooklyn kind of, uh, you know, metalhead kind of band. Right. It wasn't until a little later, I think, that those worlds started to collide. Yeah. With uh, those guys going to CBs and seeing hardcore punk bands and all that. You know, but I also feel like um, it's Retaliation that really, their second LP, which has the uh, more of like the crossover sound to it, you know, where their first album was like very much like heavy metal a little more primitive. Yeah. And there's like these like kind of moshy like parts to them, like these grooves on retaliation. They chose some interesting uh, lyrical approaches. Yeah. I mean, the thing is too with, with, and this is why in the beginning I didn't really like uh, typo negative is because the, um, there's always like a, a very dark sense of humor with right. Pete Steele's uh, lyrical content you know, imagery and all that sort of stuff. And like, you know, I, I never really got typo negative until much later. And I was like, suddenly it made sense that it's like, oh yeah, I mean, they wrote great music, but there was also, you kind of had to like be in on the sort of inside joke with that band. Right. I'm still not sure I, I get typo negative, yeah. but like I'm definitely creeping closer. Right. But, but similarly, um, Carnivore is the same thing, I think. I mean, you can take it at face value Right. You know, thermonuclear warriors, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, but then again, like for me, being a big fan of like the new barbarians and movies like that, you know, right. like, like these kind of post-apocalyptic like road warrior films and like, you know, B movies and all that kind of horror related stuff. That's something I was very much into when I was a kid, you know? Well, yeah. Cause all the promo shots from carnivore <laughs> that they look like, you know, they're in the, the road warrior movie yeah. or Conan the barbarian or something. Yeah, it's like meat and blood. Yeah. They got like, like they're wearing like yeah. wolf skins and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Sitting in a field. Like, yeah. Wearing, so wearing it's wolf like, skins. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's that element to it, which I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I mean, similar, you know, Celtic frost too. I mean, they had, you know, swords and shields and stuff. Yeah. True. So I feel like Carnivore borrowed pretty heavily from that sort of, you know, vibe, if you will. Yep. You know, but yeah, that, you know, when when Retaliation came out, that was, I think, um, more in line with like considered to be a, um, you know, a, like a crossover record, you know. You know that they're still, I mean, we, we both know this actually because we, we played Hellfest recently. There is a version of Carnivore out there touring we didn't get a chance to see them unfortunately 
that probably would have been interesting to check out. Yeah. Yeah, Retaliation came out in 87. Carnivore AD. Um, so, that yeah, that features Lou, Lou Beto on drums. Uh, Mark Piavanetti on guitar, who is a, an original member, actually. Yeah. And, um, and then you have a new guy, Baron Musuraka on bass and vocals. Oh, okay, all right. So, so that, that, that's the lineup that played Hellfest this year, and I think they did Vakin as well. Possibly. I would check them out, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're... Is there new material? I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't think so. It could be just them playing those two records. Yeah. But, you know... That's probably all it is. I don't know, man. Pete Steele, that's some pretty big shoes to oh, fill, man. Huge. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm interested, but dubiously interested. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, and we'll talk about this soon, actually, Pete Steele had a heavy hand in writing the crossover album by Agnostic Front. But before we get to uh, Cause for Alarm by Agnostic Front, let's, uh, let's talk about the Cro-Mags, who right. have, um, are, you know, a legendary, they play a crucial role, along with AF, to uh, the New York hardcore sound. You know, but I'll go on record, and I'll say they also played a major role in the crossover sound, too. Definitely. You know, I mean, Age of Quarrel, 1986, Profile Records, classic just classic album i think as time goes on you know that record just sounds it, it just still holds up to it's this timeless day. Yeah, you, it's timeless you can pick the genre and it's still a classic album yeah if you want to call it crossover metal hardcore punk whatever you want to call it in any of those genres to me it's a top 10 album you know when you listen to age of coral today it sounds definitely more punk but when i first heard it back in the 80s when i was like a young lad I thought it was like the heaviest that the intro to we gotta know i thought it was like the heaviest thing i'd ever heard i was blown away completely yeah. blown away the first time i heard that record you know to me it was like sabbath it was like that it was like a, those right. two chords were like sabbath chords it was decided definitely when i first time i ever dropped the needle on that i got a metal vibe but i felt like it was a hardcore band yeah. like yeah that such a crucial album but it was like unusual though at the time you know what i mean like when that album came out it was still very unusual for a, a punk or hardcore band to have any any association with metal you know because i remember one time like year, you know this is like i was in high school and and we were hanging out at this this uh burrito joint that we used to go to called rosemary's texas taco anyone from uh the tri-state area that's an old man like me might remember this place if you're into punk rock music but uh, we were hanging out. A good friend of mine was like, turned me out, told me about this band, the Chromags. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, they're going to check it out. He gave me a cassette with Age of Quarrel on it. And in the same conversation, one of our friends was criticized for wearing a Metallica t shirt. That's funny. Because that they're a metal band. Right. right? So there was like this weird duality of like, Age of Quarrel, okay, it's cool to listen to them because they're like, hardcore band right Metallica you're open to criticism because they were more like metal to me I was like listening to I was like you know Slayer Celtic Frost Venom all that stuff was cool but when I finally listened to it I was like man this is like as heavy as Sabbath in my opinion man and then right around that time Headbangers Ball was running the video for oh, You Gotta Know classic yeah and that turned my world just like upside down I'm like 
You know, because I, I, you know, I was a kid, man. I didn't know anything about any of this shit, really. Right. I didn't know what skinheads were. I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, I just knew the music. I was starting to, like, dip my toe into that world of, like, you know, I was into, to me, like, Metallica was, like, it was, like, one of the most out there bands I'd ever heard, right? you know, until I started listening to this kind of stuff. Right. And then it was like, wow, this is, looks, that video, like, opened my eyes to, like, what, what's, what's possible, you know what I mean, as far as, like, what a live show could be like. Right. Because at this point, I'd never actually seen a hardcore show. I'd just seen this crazy video where these dudes are, like, jumping on each other, and, you know, it's crazy, you know? And that was like a, a big step for a band from the underground to have a, a, a video that was on MTV. Oh, yeah. That was like, even though you'd have to wait up till like one o'clock in the morning to see it, you know, on Headbangers Ball, it was still there alongside like Rat and like King right. Diamond and all this other stuff. You right. Know? So, sure. So the fact that it was embraced by that media outlet, I feel like sort of gives a little bit of credibility to that as being like a, a metal crossover kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, I would even, I would say the, the second Cro-Mags album is a more technically more of a metal record. Yeah. Than definitely. Age of Quarrel. But Age of Quarrel has had such a huge impact. And if you listen to uh, the guy who wrote the songs, Harley, he, he will mention as an influence for that record all the bands that we talked about in the beginning, Motorhead, Discharge, you know, Black Sabbath, uh, Venom. Yeah. Those are all, you know, heavily influenced on the creation of that record, which makes sense when you put it in context. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Best Wishes is like, uh, like, I mean, the song, you know, that is like straight up, like, to me, like a thrash metal record, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, forget about crossover, you know? It's it's like a metal album, really. The yeah, vocal delivery, everything. The way the way it starts with the drums, man. You know. Yeah, and and of course that record does not have uh, vocalist John Joseph. So you know the classic Chromags Age of Quarrel lineup is Harley Flying on bass, John Joseph vocals, Paris Mayhew on guitar, Doug Holland, formerly of Kraut, formerly of Kraut, <laughs> on yes. guitar, two guitars, Mackie Jason on drums, and Mackie plays heavily in. You know all this stuff really he's been in you know he's in the bad brains he was in right. uh, the iceman which is a band we're going to talk about you know, in a few minutes yep uh but one interesting thing let's mention the, the bad brains it's like in my opinion you know people might ask well how are the bad brains figuring all this stuff because you know they they walk that line at times especially on their later records like yeah. eye against eye has got like a a very metallic guitar thing going on. The yeah. drums are crazier. But the, in my opinion, man, the, the bad brains, they just have their own, they're their own style. I once agree. Again. <laughs> uh, many, many people influenced by them. And I, once again, Harley will say, probably probably above all those other bands I mentioned a minute ago, he'll say the bad brains is a huge influence on him and the Chromax. But uh, I would... We put the bad brains in the mix. I look at it more like we talked about the difference between Black Flag Damaged and My War. When you look at like bad brains, whether it's the Roar cassette or Rock for Light, and then Eye Against Eye, there's a huge. Those records sound nothing alike. Right. Even know? even though like some of the songs were like were written 
Like some, there's versions of songs from Eye Against Eye that were written way back. Right, right. Yeah. But they're just the production, the guitar, the, the overall production is way more like rock. Yeah. Than punk or hardcore, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, the bad brain, the bad brain should be mentioned in almost any musical conversation you're having. Yeah, I mean, they have they they're relevant in almost every yeah. type of music, really. Yeah, I agree. In popular music, you know. So in, in '89's Best Wishes uh, record. Um, yeah, there's definitely some, uh, you know, some, some lineup changes. No, there's no John Joseph. Harley Flanagan plays bass and sings on that record. We got the dueling guitars of uh, Paris Mayhew and Doug Holland, and then Pete Hines on drums, who replaced uh, Mackie Jason. And um, from that point on, I think mostly Chromags are have taken the metal, you know, baton and ran full, full on with it, really. You know? Yes. Best Wishes has a special place in my heart. I will defend that record till the end of time. Uh, Harley's performance on that record to me is amazing. I've seen him tour on that. It was amazing. Um, and then there's the song The Only One, which is like, oh, like that is like, I remember when I, when I first checked out Best Wishes, that was a song I liked the least on the album. But years, decades later, I kind of think that's like my favorite song on the album. I love that song. Yeah, it's like, the, it sounds like um, I don't even know what the fuck they were going for. Really, it's like some of it sounds a little bit like Megadeth, maybe like a slow, like a sort of you know simplified version of Megadeth with the vocals, maybe. But it almost has this very like rock, like hard rock, like it does. Uh, like, his vocal delivery on that, as time goes on, I almost think of it more like it's almost like a like the cult meets like death rock kind of yeah kind of delivery. Yeah, like a little bit of Danzig in there. A little Not bit. misfits, Danzig. Yeah, Danzig, yeah, yeah, you definitely. I, I, I buy that. Definitely yeah. buy into that. And interesting enough, that song apparently is about Krishna. Really? Yeah. You know, a lot, of, a lot of these like you know, chicks out there think it's like a love song or something <laughs> like that. You know? Sorry, ladies. But it's um, it's song. It's a song about Krishna, like Krishna consciousness. I didn't never realize that. Yeah, if you read the lyrics with a different like point of view you'll realize it's you can see it both ways i guess you know what i mean yeah i don't know how i'm not into krishna yeah, thanks for ruining that song for me <laughs> appreciate it but uh <laughs> but yeah it's got you know that that's probably one of the i mean that for anyone who listens to the to my show on gimme that song has appeared a couple times on my playlist so it's a good song yeah it is and it might it might show up again <laughs> you know there's a little <laughs> foreshadowing to that you know <laughs> so um so yeah, the Chromags, important uh, crossover band, and I think that now is probably a good time to mention Agnostic Front. Yes, you know because uh, definitely another legendary band that has helped mold New York hardcore. You know, like, definitely, and uh, you know, but like as far as like, definitely later on they they got more metallic, but their crossover record, which is like referenced by a lot of people is cause for alarm yes which um almost i mean if you decibel when it they got inducted into the decibel hall of fame you know this is like on record that that record almost didn't even happen apparently right. you know roger was thinking about quitting the band you know they didn't have a lineup there was always you know and then i guess uh our friends at carnivore stepped in and they basically wrote the entire album it's basically a carnivore record yeah. with roger singing yeah 
And there was there was like a big question mark as to whether or not Roger was even going to sing on the album. Right. That was a good uh, Hall of Fame that Decibel did. Yeah, that was a good one, really. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely. I, that's actually one of the things I look forward to in Decibel Magazine is reading the whole... That's like the, the first thing I read is the Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah, those are always pretty, pretty good for sure. Yeah, Agnostic Front, man. I mean, their first... The United Blood EP, the seven inch, or first seven inch, and then Victim in Pain, their first album. Unlike the Cro-Mags, there's no traces of metal at all on none. those two releases. You will not find any traces of metal on those. None. Yeah, I mean, you could say that they're probably heavily influenced by like Discharge and you know the Exploited you know, right. bands like Crucifix and things like that. Right. Exactly. But and then Cause for Alarm turns up and it's like metal. Like straight up thrash. It's like Exodus. Straight, up, yeah. straight up metal. Yeah. People are like scratching their heads like, what the hell? I mean, you know, that was an extreme turn. Although, ironically, when I heard that when I was young, it didn't seem out of place to me. Coming off Victim in Pain, for some reason it made sense to me. Maybe because I had heard, you know, Animosity and all these other right. records that metal was creeping into. So it wasn't... But when you look at that, like the story of that record, it was an extreme turn for them no I, I didn't know any of this stuff till much much later like i knew that pete Steele like wrote some of the lyrics but i didn't know how heavy of a hand he had i mean i didn't know either it. and and i gotta say that cause for alarm was actually the first agnostic front record i heard i didn't hear victim in pain until after cause for alarm I, back then in the 80s man you got what you got you know what i mean <laughs> it was like right. you, you couldn't just like go to itunes and download you know whatever the entire catalog of a band if you found out about a record because somebody told you about it or like when i found out about cause for alarm i was hanging out with my buddy ken smar and uh and, and we we're listening to uh injustice for all not injustice for all uh we we're listening to master of puppets by metallica and agnostic front cause for alarm all right so i'm like oh these records don't sound that much different really I mean, maybe one's more, like a lot more primitive than the other. And then I looked at the band photo, and it's like, well, these guys look like these like criminals from the Lower East Side, and uh, Metallica look like these like dudes from California. You know right. what I mean? So I'm like, right. okay, so there's a difference there. But to me, it wasn't that different. And then later, as I learned more about hardcore and metal, I saw that there was definitely a, big, a, big a huge difference between yeah. the bands. Well, the only reason I heard Victim in Pain before Cause for Alarm is because when one of my older friends drove me to Newberry Comics in Boston to buy records, that's what they had. You know what I mean? I Those records were both out before I heard either one. Yeah. I just happened to, when I went to buy records, I heard of Agnostic Front and I bought uh, Victim in Pain because that's what they had. And Newberry uh, Comics was always on point with stuff, man. Oh, uh, I mean? yeah, man. That was, yes. It was great. Like I said, the town, I mean, what town I grew up in, man, there was no record stores. So when I started to get into the, all this stuff, I met older guys in high school, luckily, that had cars, and they used to go to Providence, Rhode Island, or Boston to, to buy you know records and skateboard, go to shows. So they took me along. That's how I ended up buying a lot of cool records when I was younger, because the town I grew up in, man, there was no record stores. If you're listening to my show, The Sacred and Profane, uh, that tracks from that record appear here and there so great you probably hear more of that stuff too so new york city a very um prolific uh city when it comes to the crossover genre 
You know? Seems that way. Yeah, I mean, we, we go through a couple more bands here from New York. We got Leeway from Astoria, which is in Queens, by the way. Started uh, That band started out in 83 with uh, guitarist AJ, AJ Novello and uh, singer Eddie Sutton. The original name of the band was The Unruled. I didn't know that. Yeah, they had, they had a name prior to Leeway. But primarily, this band was like one like similar to uh, Carnivore, started out as like a metal, really a metal band. I mean, they had two guitar players trading guitar solos. They had a singer who was like, you know, singing, essentially. Yeah, like a high, high-pitched kind of... Yeah. You know, and, and really, straight up, like, if you took the band away from the context of New York hardcore or New York City, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's like a, a thrashy sort of metal band. If you listen to Born to Expire, that record to me didn't really sound like a hardcore record. Nope, not at all. Yeah, you know, and um, the funny thing about Born to Expire, uh, you know, Profile Records was was a label that was mostly known. For doing, uh, you know, their their big bread and butter was uh, was rap rap music. You know, Run DMC was on Profile. Yep. Um, some other you know people in that world. Um, and then they da- they dipped their toe into hardcore. You know, so they they signed Leeway, um, the Chromags. Yes. You know, there's some other bands too that we talk about. They're on Profile. So they had this brief uh, period of time where they were, you know trying out the waters, testing the waters of like hardcore and metal crossover and that kind of stuff. Now with Born to Expire, they recorded the album in 87, but it didn't show up until 89. Wow. Yeah, there was like this big lag. I know they did a demo too before that, right? Called yeah. the Enforcer yep. demo, which had, I think all, or some of the songs, some of the songs that would yeah. go on to be on Born to Expire. Right. But by the time that came out, they were, they were pretty well entrenched in, uh, you know, in the hardcore scene. You know, playing playing shows with AF and right. you know doing CB's matinees and that kind of thing. Right. But their their actual debut album didn't come out until '89. Wow, I didn't realize it was a, two years on the shelf. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There was some. You know, I tried to research a little bit, like why, but you know, there was like promotional issues or huh. issues with the label or whatever. You know, but this is back in the you know the uh, t- you know the sort of Huck Finn era of. <laughs> Of releasing records, you know what I mean? It's right. like, you know, it's an adventure, you know, back then, putting out an album on an independent label. So I went to high school with this dude, Bevin Stone, who actually did the artwork for Born to Expire. Oh, really? That's yeah. a pretty classic cover. It's a classic Did he go on cover. to do any other records? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. He, his thing was art. You okay. Know? Yeah, he, um, yeah, we went to high school. He's a year younger than me. Oh, okay. And uh, I remember him telling me about this, that... This is the thing with that. I remember hearing about Leeway's record before it even came out because of Bevan doing the artwork. I didn't. I I knew the name Leeway because of them playing all the shows, but I didn't know their, their music. I never had the Enforcer demo. But when Born to Expire came out, I bought it, of course, and I love that record. I don't really fuck with their catalog after that, though. No, you know what I mean. There's a reason. Yeah, it's I don't. I not just, as good. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, no. Uh, Born to Expire is great, though, man. I, when I bought that, I, I wore that thing out, man. I listened to that a lot. You know, that's if I still go back to that occasionally, but I never liked either record they did after that. So that brings us to the Iceman, another New York City band who has a very, very small catalog. Yeah, like six songs. Or yeah. Something. 
But I think they definitely just on the the power of those those songs. I think that they deserve a uh, a mention here. So do I, man. I, I think that I spent stuff is great. I seen them once back in the day. You actually saw them? I did. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, seen them at the Anthrax. Um, and they were they were great, man. Mackie playing drums. Yep, Mackie Jason. He, he can make pretty much any band sound good. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing. You li- when you listen to that that EP, it's like the drums. You can like, tell. You can tell. You tell it's, it's him definitely. But it was cool, man. It was it was different. You know, um, definitely a metal edge to it for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think I actually enjoy it more now though than I did back then. I liked it. I remember buying the seven inch on Blackout. Yeah. Um, but I think I like actually enjoy it more now. I mean that band kind of took a while to percolate before they actually put those uh, those songs out. Right. You know, it, 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 did. it formed in '82. Uh, guitarist Marco Abularic. Sorry if I'm murdering his name. Uh, Noah Evans on bass and Mackie Jason on drums. And uh, it wasn't until '87 that they got uh, Carl Demola on vocals, aka Carl the Mosher. <laughs> And that's the lineup that most people know about, and that's the lineup that played on the EP. Yeah. And um, yeah, probably uh, you're probably one of the few people that actually saw them. I mean, I don't imagine them playing a whole lot really outside of the New York area, the tri-state area. No, I mean, I think they played CBs probably, you know, quite a bit. But yeah, and I'm pretty sure they never toured or anything like that. Yeah, they're they're a cool band for sure. Now, we have to mention Stormtroopers of Death and M.O.D., even though there might be a, uh, a movement out there that would want to suppress those records. Uh, yeah, man. I, I was a, a big fan of S.O.D. back in the day. I still enjoy their first record. I never really got in. Uh, I believe they made a second record. Right. Bigger than the devil. Actually, they have three albums. They have though. three albums. Yeah. Okay, that shows you what I know yeah. about. If uh, if I may, eighty five, speak English or die on Megaforce. Ninety nine, bigger than the devil on Nuclear Blast, and then in 07, Rise of the Infidels. Oh seven. Oh seven. I mean, it kind of. I mean, if you think about it, it started out as a, a side, you know, a side project for uh, Scott Ian. You know, yeah. he was like, you know, it was I mean, like a joke band. Yeah, it was a joke band. It was like. Well, I would say I think they took it seriously when they were making the music. I think that it was like they were well, serious about you know playing the songs, but the the idea was more lighthearted. And I think people misunderstood ever, them, though. Did you ever hear? Well, yeah, you're right about that. But did you ever hear the Crab Society North demo? No, what the hell is that? All right, so the Crab Society North demo preceded Speak English or Die. Okay, and it's like 62 songs. Oh my god. Really, and it—it's actually—it's probably on YouTube. But when they—they they did a, correct me if I'm wrong, twentieth, twenty-fifth anniversary edition of that record a few years back, and it's an extra tracks on the CD. It's and it sounds like it was recorded on like a boombox, and it's just like chaos and noise. Uh, if I may, it sounds a lot like it was influenced by uh, Anal Cunt. Really, and and this is like hold on, this is like a a uh, like a, a anniversary edition of Speak English or Die has this on it. Yes, the CD. Really, because it's like sixty two tracks, but it's I mean it's like all the songs are a couple seconds long, and it, wow. the quality is horrendous. It's like a it's like a 
a knife to the brain to listen to. It's not something that's enjoyable to listen to, but you have to at least listen to it once. If you're a fan of SOD, you've never heard it. Yeah. Huh. It's called the crab society North down. Years before, hmm. Speak English or Die was recorded. Huh. So I, yes, Speak English or Die, I mean, they went to like a real studio, and I think they took the recording of that seriously. Yeah, I mean, my understanding, and I think I heard this or read this in an interview with Scott Ian, was um, he was talking about how while he was doing Anthrax, he was like, oh, I want to do a hardcore band. And, right. I mean, I don't know. This is what I read, okay, from him. And that they used the Anthrax gear while they were recording like whatever album was coming out in around that time. Which I heard been, that too. Would have been like Among the Living maybe? I think so. Maybe it was the Among the Living album. And that's what the Speak English or Die sessions were, was recordings while they were in the studio. Right. And I mean, I, this might be an urban legend for all I know. but like I, I heard the same thing. But I mean, that, that record, I mean, it's like that version, Stormtroopers of Death is, you know, Charlie Benante from Anthrax, who's a great drummer. Scott Ian, guitar. One of my favorite favorite people in metal dan Lilker on bass same here man dan Lilker is like you know like royalty in my opinion when it comes to metal the epitome of a lifer yeah and the uh the infamous billy milano on vocals yep the, the uh you know infamous billy milano <laughs> <laughs> for many reasons yeah and you know they were they were controversial due to their you know deliberately offensive lyrics and you can read interviews that are out there with you know Billy Milano and Scott Ian how none of this stuff was ever supposed to be like taken seriously and you know it was a joke and um, you know with this you got to also remember this record came out in 1985 right when there was a way different climate um, you know for better or for worse I mean not I'm not going to apologize or make any you know qualifiers but it's like you know the world was a different place like you know, 30 years ago. So be that as it may. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the record very much when it came out, not because it, it was offensive because I, I enjoyed the record and I saw the humor in the record. Uh, I enjoy the record now. Yeah. And I still see the humor totally in the record. Yeah. So, but people will, you know, make their own decisions on that. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid crossover album, you know what I mean? It is. It's great. man. it's, if you can see past, you know, some of the lyrical content, which some people can, some people can't. That's that's their choice. You know, and I think that one of the, you know, the marks of hardcore punk and more extreme metal back in the day was that it was supposed to be offensive. You know, I mean, people were offended by, I mean, Slayer was like, you know, they had their controversies too, man. I mean, they were, you know, right. satanic, violent lyrics, you know, like... There's a lot of people that took offense to what they were doing. And um, I think that in general, this type of music was supposed to be offensive to people. And that's what, you know, the SOD stuff was just taking that concept and adding another, taking it further, right. going further into that offensive territory. Right. You know, hey, it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, it's not for everyone. You know, some say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> that's you fair. Know, some people like cream in their coffee, and I don't. So. <laughs> 
you can uh, take that as you will, and uh, and we'll leave it at that. But uh, (laughs) after SOD disbanded, originally came MOD. Yeah, Method of Destruction, which uh, featured uh, Billy Milano and a bunch of different guys in the band. Yeah, I don't... And they're still around, actually. They are. Yeah, the drummer in Insight uh, plays in... um, in MOD whenever they do stuff. And, and they definitely continued the idea of, uh, offending people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They did not, uh, they did not scale back on that. They might've pushed the envelope a little further. Yeah. I think they, they took the work that was done in stormtroopers of death and pushed it further. <laughs> Something, uh, cool to mention for people that are interested in this, especially the New York part of this, which we're in the middle of now. If you go on YouTube, there was this New York hardcore documentary that came out last year, but which is, it's, it's fine. It's good. If you go on YouTube, though, there's all these uh, interviews, which are usually from about five to eight minutes long. And they, they do one-on-one interviews with a lot of these guys are talking about. Uh, Lou Beto from Carnivore, uh, Billy Milano, uh, Dan Lilker, a lot of these crossover guys. And they, you know, they ask them like 10 questions, just kind of rapid fire stuff. But it's pretty interesting, and it ties in to a lot of what we're talking about here. I mean, there's some useful information there, for sure. Guys from Crumb Suckers and all those bands. So if you're bored and want to surf around YouTube, kind of coincides with what we're talking about here. So now we're going to get on uh, 495 and head out to Long Island <laughs> for this segment of it. Yeah, We got uh, Crumb Suckers from Baldwin, Long Island. And... Uh, they're, they're one of the bands I actually latched onto pretty early. I mean, they were around, and they, they formed in 83 on Long Island. And I guess the classic lineup is uh, Dave Wynn on guitar, Chuck Lenahan on guitar, Chris Nataro on vocals, Gary Meske on bass, and Dan Richardson on drums. And um, I get their classic record would be Life of Dreams, which came out in 1986 on Combat Records. I absolutely love Life of Dreams. I... One of my trips up to Newbury Comics as a young, young man, I purchased Chromag's Age of Quarrel and Crumbsucker's Life of Dreams at the same time. Came home, listened to them both front to back, and I didn't know which one I liked better. Yeah, that's how much I like Life of Dreams. I think that is a very underrated record. I think that record should be uh, easily in the top ten of crossover records of all time. Uh, that record is is so good, in my opinion, and a lot overlooked outside of... So, Crumb Sucker seemed like a more of a regional kind of band. Yeah, I would agree with that, because i, I got to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I've, you know, I've traveled all over the place, and, and it's only really on the East Coast that people are talking about the Crumb Suckers, if at all, you know what I mean? It's like, right, right, right. Yeah, but they're, they're a, a, a go-to band, especially, I mean, if you're going to check out any of this stuff, and, you know, we're going to have... Um, a, a uh, playlist the company of this episode we're gonna have some crumb suckers tracks on there and um you know it's definitely dated i mean, I mean stuff came out in the 80s but you can see the appeal of the band definitely you know and um another long island band was ludicrist which um this band is probably the most technically proficient of all these bands <laughs> could be you know what i mean however like you know i would i would consider them I mean, they weren't really my cup of tea. You know what I'm trying to say? Me neither. I was never a big fan. Uh, check out their records, you know, when I was younger and just never, didn't really do anything for me. You know, they had, they had two, uh, you know, the, the Immaculate Deception record. Um, that's like, you know, 
probably like the the one people like refer to and uh that came out on combat and there was power trip which came out in 88 and uh you know definitely worth checking out but yeah they get a little too funny for me you know what i mean yeah, it just never really stuck with me. Like some of these other records we're talking about are records I still listen to to this day. They had such an impact on, you know, on me. Ludacris, not so much. That don't. That doesn't mean they won't have an impact on somebody else, though. Yeah, yeah and then some of the members of that band went on to form a band called Scatterbrain, which takes the humor to an even more extreme uh, level. Don't call me dude. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, like these, um, with the exception of maybe Cryptic Slaughter, let's see, we got, we're heading out to the uh, the West Coast for them now. Santa Monica, California, Cryptic Slaughter, uh, a band that, you know, convicted, 86, Metal Blade, Money Talks, 87, also on Metal Blade. And uh, interesting enough, the original members of this band all met because they were avid soccer players. Really? <laughs> yeah, as kids. I did not know that. They all met when they were under 18. Or wow. young young lads, and they met while playing soccer. I don't mean to sound like a commercial for YouTube, but <laughs> I've seen somewhere I think it was on YouTube some footage of them like and their parents like driving them to play some party as Cryptic Slaughter in yeah. like a station wagon, you know, in the in the early '80s or mid '80s or whatever. And it was pretty funny, man, to watch it. It's definitely interesting. But uh, I, I I bought Money Talks. Thought it was awesome. Uh, not as good as uh, Chrome Ags and Chrome Suckers, no. but but cool in its own way for sure. And I, I still will throw that on from from time to time. Yeah. Uh, now these these last couple of bands are just bands to consider if you're going to go check some of these out. We got Mucky Pup from Bergenfield, New Jersey, formed in '86. Um, you know they have uh, "Can't You Take a Joke" and "A Boy in a Man's World." And those are like the two like big crossover records for them. And um, once again, another band that relied a little too heavily on humor for my taste. Yeah, me too. Never, never a fan. But if that's your cup of tea, it's out there. So yeah, if you're uh, interested in, in crossover music, I think one of the things that uh, really sets it aside though is like is the vocal delivery and the lyrical content. With uh, but, you know, what what makes a band a crossover metal band is like maybe the guitar playing and the drums are are thrash, but the vocals technically I think put it in that genre a little bit more. You know, sure. I mean, nowadays it's a little bit harder to define what a crossover band is. Well, I it guess. does in my opinion, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Right. right, but there are but there are some newer bands who. Well, well let's address that. Okay, sure. Yeah, because like. I, th- I think that um, there are bands out there that have the crossover sound. You know, there are fine bands like Iron Reagan, Municipal Waste, you know, Power Trip, Power those Trip. types of bands, you know, who, um, you know, are maybe deem themselves as crossover bands. But there's no crossover to be made right now. Right. That's, I mean, uh, that's been done. It's been done. I mean, right. you, what are you crossing over to? There's the metal scene, the punk scene, the hardcore scene are all mixed together now right. for the most part. Right. You know, you got punks who like metal. You got metals who like punk. You got dudes in metal bands that like Discharge, you know. Right. I mean, just the fact that, like, back in the 80s, you would see pictures of, like, dudes in Metallica wearing Misfits t-shirts was, like, a big deal. Yeah, it was. You know what I mean? It was. I mean, that's how, that's how I got turned on to the Misfits. Cause Made Metallica. the Misfits a lot of money. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I wanted to find out about the Misfits because of Metallica, really. Right. You know? And well, um, a lot of people did. Yeah. You know, and then I went into, you know, I, I liked it. I got into the Sam Hain and then the right. Danzig records, you know. <clears throat> so, but these days, I think it's a moot point to say that there's like, you're crossing over to someplace, you know, because it's like, I think the world is in a place where people are free enough to move between all these different scenes without, you know, getting beat up or anything like that. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, today people get beat up for different reasons, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to, you know, it's funny to talk about violence is uh, we talked about the Chromags uh, Motorhead tour. And I saw that show uh, the, when, the, you know, Chromags opened for Motorhead. And that was actually, you know, the, the confrontation of two very different scenes at that one particular show. You had skinheads. You got metal guys, and then you, had long, you know long hairs, fights, violence, dudes getting beaten up, like getting boot stomped. It was like may, total mayhem when I saw that. So you did see trouble unfold. Yeah, totally because of that. Because of just people see, being different. Well, it's funny because we started to talk about this a little bit earlier. Now my first show was a few years later, where I seen those worlds collide, and yeah. it was. Sick of it all had just put out uh, Blood, Sweat, and No Tears. Yeah, okay. And they did a tour with Nuclear Assault. Yeah. Nothing like what you're talking about. No violence, really? no trouble, no skinheads. Oh, no. Just a few years later, that's how quick things yeah. turned. Yeah, by the late 80s, I feel like both scenes were kind of like, you know, to, yeah. you know there, were, there was like a, a truce or whatever you want to call it. You know? like <laughs> right, people an, an understanding. Seen, yeah, people had seen the value in both both worlds, you know what right. I mean? I think that that's important, you know? and Because, uh, you know, Sick of It All always toured, toured with metal bands a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, with, with Napalm Death, you know? Right. There was like, there was a, you know, they were always on tour with metal bands, you know? and um, But yeah, a few years earlier, it was like chaos, really. Right. You know, like you would see like, like you know, Chromag's Motorhead. That was a, always comes to mind about sure. the fear that I had, <laughs> you know. And then a few months later, uh, Motorhead came back without the Chromags, and it was all metal. It was like all it was like a metal and maybe punk crowd. Like right, there were right. some, you know, some dudes wearing exploited T-shirts or GBH shirts at the show, and they weren't starting trouble with anyone. But it was like there was no skinheads. I guess is what I was going to say. Well, that's a people might roll their eyes at this. That's fine, but like that's something I feel is missing in that scene today is the element of danger at a punk or hardcore or whatever you want to call it show. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know how much danger anyone's bringing to the table. Not that I want to go to a show and get like you know someone hit me in the head with a bottle, no, or, or, or my ass kicked or whatever, sucker punched or whatever. But like, I don't know. It's hard to describe it. If you weren't, if you're not too like an old man like me and you are, there was just a different element uh, at show. I can't tell you the last show I'd been to where I had there was like that element of like this could go bad, but it was added an excitement and an edge to being into that underground stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no you know rite of passage anymore, but uh, you know, like but but once again, I don't want to go to a show and like have to be looking over my shoulder the whole time either, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't either. So I guess it's. Uh, I don't know. It's, maybe it's just a, a thing being younger. You know. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, and this is the crossover episode, 
and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take care. You've been listening to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio via web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities in the world, exclusive interviews and merch, and so much more.